You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum, uh, Rob Hollis. That's H O L Y S Z. You got it. Yeah. It's been a good year. We've had our year anniversary now since we, we came on new, strong editing. So it's been about a year now. Uh, we thank you for listening and for your constant support. I, I see people wearing hats, Inside of You hats or wristbands, and I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, what, we, what we really need is some inside of you tattoos, though. <laughs> I don't know, man. Don't do that, guy. If you get a tattoo, post it on social media, and Michael will bring you on the podcast. Jeez, don't say that. Don't say that. That's that. That's not true. I mean, who knows? What I mean, doing. we might call you. Just, if you get a tattoo, hey, we might call you. Guys you guys and... work on getting us some listeners, and then I know... Uh, I, like, tattoo I know the I URL on your arm. Apple.co slash inside of you. Don't listen to this idiot. He doesn't know what he talks of. Hey, we got a great show tonight, um, or today. By the way, um, yeah, today, well, Welling and I will be in Boston and Toronto for a signing, and Kristen, Tom Welling, and I will be in Toronto for a what, signing. What date is that? In August. August. Uh, sometime in August. And the album, Left on the World's Beautiful Mass, is coming out, so make sure you download that if you want. And uh, we made some good music and worked really hard on it. Uh, that being said, we got some more great content today. Who's our guest today, my friend? Steve Lukather. He was one of the original members. He is one of the original members uh, of Toto. He wrote songs like Turn Your Love Around. He wrote The Tubes. She's she's a beauty. He's worked with he worked on the on the Michael Jackson Thriller Thriller album, the whole Thriller I used to album. Listen to that. I, my dad loved that album. Oh, Lionel Richie, uh, Running with the Night, I think it was, or something. He, I mean, he he does the guitar solo. He does. He's worked with everybody. He's a studio musician. More than that. Power, well, but he does a lot. You of, know, he he kind of gets a little annoyed because I think people can be haters on there. And he goes, oh, you know, this is what you do. He's like, uh, sorry for being classically trained and and sorry for being so versatile. This guy is one of the best guitarists I've ever seen, heard. One of the great guys. If, you, if you've never heard of him, listen to this fascinating interview. He's got a, a fantastic book called The Gospel According to Luke. Um, Your ADD is in full force in this episode. Is it? Why do you say that? Every time he mentions a song that yeah. he wrote, you're like, oh, let's pull this up. Let's listen to it. Let's listen to we it. even played a little guitar in it uh, on the episode. He's... I love him. I've seen I've seen him perform many times, and uh, so much insight into the uh, the, uh, the insight industry of, of Steve. The insight. Let's get insight. Let's get insight of Steve Lukather. This is last daughter of Krypton on Twitter. Her rendition of uh, Inside of You theme. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Man, look, how long have I known you? You know, man, that's a good question because I, how long has it been? We we met. At you met somebody else. I think you met my kid. Nope. Before you met no, me. no, no. We met at something you were doing with all these other 80s bands years ago. And I came there and you, we looked at each other and you're like, hey, hey dude. Like yeah, I, I, I watched the show. I like Smallville. I that was show, a great man. show. And then I was like, dude. I'm a huge it was, fan. It, it threw me off when you had hairs. I'm a that's... huge fan of Toto. And that was just kind of like we, we hit it off. You came over for a beer. I came to see a concert. It was like. Well, what's supposed to have been long? If I came over for a beer, it was over 10 years ago. It was over I, 10 years I quit ago. Drinking 10 it was years over ago. 10 years ago. It was when I first moved in this house, which then I moved we, 16 years ago. Then we had ago. a lot of beers, then I bet. No, you were, you, were pretty, you were pretty chill. You weren't like even. I think you were at the end of all that shit. Whatever. It's, it's my past, but it's still there. You know? Well, you just wrote 
some, you, I was surprised because you're a real, you seem like a real private guy. I, like, I don't know you. I know you as in we text funny shit. Yeah. We go out to dinner. We talk right, we shit. We hang out, you know. But we don't sit here and go, hey, man, tell me about growing up. Something weird was going on when I was real young. Really? Weird things outside my window and my sister and I have weird memories of stuff. Like what? I don't know, maybe. You do weird know. Stuff. I can see it in your eyes. I don't know, man, but I have a morbid fascination with UFOs. I'll put it to you that way. Well, I did, too. did you see that uh, Bob Lazar and Area oh, sure. 51 and Aliens? Isn't that a great documentary? Bob, I was in a Bob when it hit in the 80s, that that, that whole thing. It's a, it's a hobby. I'm not, like, obsessed or anything like that. I, I think you are a little bit. I think we yeah, all hobby are. In the sense we all want to know what's out there. Well, wait a minute. It's very curious. And every day there's more and more weird things they can't explain being disclosure. I mean, it doesn't make math. I mean, mathematically, you know, there's got to be some stuff out there, you know? Then of course, absolutely, absolutely. the theory of uh, you know parallel universes and you know the Mandela effect and all that. How yeah. that because of you know as soon as they hit the God particle, boom, we're supposed to all have shifted, and that's why things are little, weird, little teeny things like lines from a movie or even passages in the Bible have changed. Well, how from the way you remember, this isn't this is a theory. I'm not. It's not a theory, but I mean, how could we think? How I just go down these. You know, I'm on the road so much. You know, reading books and doing. You know, sitting in a room by <laughs> myself. I can only practice so much, and then I just want to read and amuse myself with non musical things. You know, and wow. I find these little, find these fascinating little YouTubes that lead me down other wormholes, little rabbit holes. Yeah, you know, I what always it is. I always think of you as someone like. You know, a lot of people, you talk to actors, they like talking about their careers. They'll talk about this, what they're doing. You're you're the one of those guys where I'm like, God, I hate to ask. I remember one time I asked you, I go, hey, play something. You're like, why don't you act something? <laughs> well, <laughs> but it's kind of true. Well, you know, what if you're a doctor? You go over, every time you go to somebody's pad, man, it's like they want to show you the, you know, the anal fissure that's growing. Like, hey, what's, you know, what's this, doc? It's like, I'm it's off like, right now. I've got this boil on my left testicle, and I just, would you have a look for me? I know we're going to have dinner soon, but, you know. Steve yeah, Lukather. You have to be, I have to always be on, is my point. You know what I mean? It's it's true, but I mean, as a by the way, Steve Lukather, thank you for allowing me to be inside of you today. <laughs> this is really. Ex- I'm this sorry, is really- you're gonna have to take me to dinner first. That, uh, yeah, well, I'll do that and cause me to go off the wagon and feed me full of all sorts of mind altering things so I can never remember <laughs> anything, any part of it. Do you, listen, you are for people that don't know you, and look, my, my fan base. Who knows when people listen to this show? You're gonna go. Who the hell is that guy? Well, that's why I I want to talk to you as a fly on the wall. Yeah, More yeah. as like, because then, I know some stuff. I've been, look, your book, you didn't want to write a book forever. No, I was not looking to do that. What happened was uh, they, I got a call to do a Q&A at the Grammy Museum. Not unlike James Lipton, you know what I mean? Right. Scott Goldman, the head, one of the heads of the Grammys down there, really sweet guy, invited me down to do this. I'm like, really? Okay. And it's like, you know, t- I don't know 300 people stuffed into a room. I didn't think anybody was going to show up. I'm like, me? Well, who the hell? Who cares? Uh, it was packed, and so he did one of those things. He he researched my career, and I had no idea what questions he was going to ask. He'd mentioned an artist's name, somebody I worked with, and I have stories about everybody. So I just started telling stories and doing impressions or whatever the hell I was doing. I had everybody screaming, laughing, and my agents from WME came and my uh, came up to me and said, "You have to write a book." I go, "Holy jeez, you know." Then it sort of somebody contacted me and. It, Sort of happened organically like that, and I said, I led a very colorful life. I'm not so sure uh, I should talk about all of it. You know what I mean? I don't want to hurt any innocent people. But let me tell you, when I started, when I read the four, because you just sent me the book, and I'm looking at it right now, The Gospel According to Luke, 
Steve Lukather with Paul. My nickname Reese. is Luke because there was like 40 Steves around when I was a kid. That's why. Right. Lukather Luke makes sense. Right. You've done some crazy shit in your life. And that's what this book is like. You, you, you even said this isn't another book where I'm going to tell you about all I do is do drugs. And you're going to hear all these stories about me fucking. Well, it's tons kind of, of a cliche. Don't you think it's kind of a cliche? And that's what you this? say. You know, I, it's like, you know, the clawing your way to the, you know, to getting that chance and you have a hit record and then everything's great and then all and then trouble you know it's in but you know, you know what know, the women the drugs the booze the decadence the craziness uh, it's your name here at this point you know i mean some of us were worse than others uh some people were just way on another planet for me you know i was kind of crazy but I mean, other you, people that were really crazy. I mean, look, you were at seven years old. Your dad gave you like a, what was a keyboard or some shit. No, I mean, I watched. I saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show, and that was it. I wanted to be George Harrison, so I got a guitar and a copy of Meet the Beatles. And you were playing from seven seven on. Well, the first year was a struggle of trying to make something noise out of the thing because it was a painful guitar, which I now have as a have as a lamp in my guest bedroom. <laughs> Is that true? My parents gave it to me on my twenty first birthday. No, this was like a mother of toilet seat guitar. I mean, it was a piece of crap. Four bucks or something at Thrifty. Right. Strings are four, four feet off the neck, and I was trying to make it. Why doesn't it sound like the Beatles? You know, I'm an innocent little kid. Right. You know, and then the neighbor kids uh, had a band, and that was an eye opener. Wow, there's a real electric guitars and stuff. So were those the yeah. guys that you ended up going to high school with? No, no, no. They were all guys, guys that I've probably never seen since. You know, they you know, the one summer they rehearsed in a garage. I sat outside and they let me play their Rickenbacker guitar like George Harrison. It was really thrilling for me. And you didn't get really interested in music, really, really heavily till high school. No, I was obsessed from day one. From day one, I was in a band. My first band at nine. My first money making band at eleven. How much money are you making? What are you playing? 20, Is it a cover band? 20 bucks a weekend, you know, which would be like making 200 bucks a weekend now. I had a three-piece band. We played really good. We played a whole bunch of songs from the era, everything, you know, from Beatles, Cream, how many, Hendrix. How old are you? 11. How many 11-year-olds do that? There weren't any then. Now it's like, you know, that's Every, considered that's old. You got a YouTube, considered old. everybody's you, playing. You have to pop out, you know, as a fetus with a you know, little mini Strat on playing like Stevie Ray Vaughan or shredding like the fastest guitar player in the world at th two years old were you get already getting like it's that? crazy because but there wasn't anybody like that then you remember i was living in real time the beatles are just so bands were like everybody wanted to be in a band but nobody my age wanted to be in a band so i was always thrown in with older people which is how trouble started in my life you, know, you put a little kid in a room with guys like 10 to 20 years old and and later in life as a session musician but as a kid i was always guys you know three four years older than me and that's a big difference when you're nine and everybody else is, you know, pre-teens or teenagers. Were you smoking pot at 11? No. Were you doing any drugs at, like, no. in your teens, early teens? No, no. Oh, no, yeah, I did that in my early teens, sure. You know, Boone's Farm, Strawberry Hill. Boone's Farm, cheap, dude. Cheap weed. You, know you don't I mean? know what this is, Rob. But, I, but you know, I, I smoke... Rob's 29, he has a kid. You know, no, he doesn't no, know no, this. No, but, you know, the first time I smoked weed, I got way too high. Or the first <laughs> time I got high on weed, I tried it a bunch of times, nothing yeah. happened. First time I I got really I got way too high and then I didn't touch it again until I was like twenty. Really, I experimented with some other stuff, but you know it was really that I turned into a boozer at a young age. Really, already like, boozer. Well, everybody else would be taking acid and it was scary stuff to me. So I mean, we were young. I mean, like thirteen. 14 were your parents kids pretty liberal? Had. Were they liberal? Did they just not? They just liberal like, go and, do your thing. They, no, innocent. I think they didn't see it. They didn't. You know, they understand. We were the first generation that went for it with all that crazy shit. You know, I mean, before it was just booze for the the parents. You know, going back generations, the rite of passage was to go get drunk or whatever. 
we sort of took it to another level. There was a whole drug, it's, you know, the hippies and all that, and the music was ours. Were your parents liberal, though? Were they conservative? Uh, didn't really talk about it much, man. You know, they, they just were like, they were like you know, don't talk politics or religion with the neighbors. And, you know, for two weeks a year, we'd get a little vibe going in the neighborhood, and then it would go away. Not like today, where it's you're pummeled every two seconds with, oh, my God, can it get any worse? And it does, you know. Right. Regardless of which side you're on, it's crazy everywhere. And you were listening to, like, Hendrix and all that oh, shit. Oh, was... everything was in real time. Whatever new, whatever was new, I was into. And my mom was really young. See, she was a teenager when she was pregnant with me, 19 years old. Mm. So she would listen to rock and roll and Top 40 radio because so she was still young. I was just mesmerized by it. And my parents thought it was rather amusing and cute, but didn't think I was going to go the distance. You know? I mean, do you think you, of yourself sort of like, because, you know, I mean, I think musicians are, you meet them, they could be snobs in terms of like what they like, because you're a rock and roller. You you rock. Oh, I'm a musician, man. But do I'm you not like, a snob at Do you all. like pop shit? Do you yeah. like, I mean, what do you, what do you like that people Wait would go, second, what? Wait a second, man. I'm the least musical snob you've ever heard. I, I love all sorts of music. Like what? What's the, what's the music that people wouldn't believe that you listen to? I, I, there isn't any music that I wouldn't listen you to. You listen to Joni Mitchell? I love Joni Mitchell. I had the honor of working with her. Carol King? Tapestry. It's part of the DNA, man. One of the greatest songwriters of all time. <laughs> Go ahead, Rob. Is there people you're trying to pick that would surprise that he listens to? <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, well, it's I everybody, more like, man. Ever it's more like, like Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift? Or Justin Bieber. You know, I gotta be okay. <laughs> you know, thanks, Rob. You know, I've heard, a couple of, I've heard a couple of the records, but it's just out of my wheelhouse. It's not that i think it's bad it's just that it's i'm it's funny they tell you by the time you're 30 years old that's really all the new music you're going to be interested in and you'll listen to new stuff but you'll always go back to your youthful music that's and that's every do. generation that's what i do yeah every generation yeah. like that. My, you know my older kids like they, they're 90s kids so that's their do they go back to trev goes back to like uh uh pearl jam nirvana sure Soundgarden. sure he was well i liked all that stuff do you know, you probably know those guys. Some, some. I actually met the um, the bass player in Nirvana, Chris, on a Paul Allen's boat. Who's Paul Allen? Co-founder of Microsoft. Oh yeah, that Paul Allen. Yeah. Did you know that, Rob? No. He was a sweet man. God bless him. Uh, I got invited on that cruise, but I ended up playing it privately with Ringo. You know, it was, and we were there, and he was there. So that's how I, I met this guy. So like, it was a trip. He, he was such a nice guy. Chris was a great cat. And he told me he was played accordion. And he started, and I thought he was taking the piss out of me. So I said, Really, man? So, like, how do you, you know, I've always been fascinated with that playing that instrument. I know everybody gives it a bad name, you know, but there's some badass accordion players. You listen to polka. Some of these cats can rip, man. <laughs> rip it. That's the thing with you. You I love mean, musicians. Laugh. You love every instrument. Anybody that's a virtuoso in any style of music, you catch just my eye because it, I know. The time, effort, and years, and can you play any? Can you play any kind of music? Well, I could bullshit my way through anything. You could bullshit your way through well, any well, kind and of music. I underline bullshit because there are people that own every you know a certain style of music. I go, yeah, I could kind of fake my way through if these guys own it. There's a big difference, right? But what is the most comfortable you feel on stage? What kind of music you're playing? I don't know. You've heard my stuff. You know that's. That's what comes out when I don't think about it too rock much. Rock and roll, blues, I'm, little I started jazz. out a rock and roll guy. You know, I studied music when I was 14. From 7 to 14, I played by ear and just rock, basically rock top 40 of the time. Which, if you really go back and Google the top 40 of, say, 1968, when I was 11 in my band, and see the song was every song is a classic by today's standards. 
Right. And that was just the top 40 that week. So, I mean, I gotta, I'm got i going to be a musical snob and say that I feel like I was lucky enough to grow in the grow up in the best time of rock music ever, will yeah. ever be, because everything was brand new. Is anything brand new anymore? No. I mean, is there anything in life, maybe another planet, meeting another somebody from another planet, that would be something completely wow. But when was the last time you went, wow? I don't say something wow. Something is brand... I Okay, not the word. I don't you know. say wow, but Rob, I think, says wow. Rob likes a lot of current music, and he goes, wow. What wows you, Rob? I don't say wow about current music. I don't know. I mean, But you what's your favorite music, man? Um, I mean, I like, like lo- Local Natives, Radiohead, Father John Misty. Yeah, that's so, no, that's considered classic rock, right? That's considered classic. That's the 90s. I love, you know, the record I love, though, there's OK Computer. Yeah, that was a genius cool. record. That reminds me of 20 years ago, man, in London. I was staying in... Working in the UK at the time. Now, let me ask you. So, so this book kind of takes you on a journey throughout your life, right? I mean, how many... Yeah, it's do- a broad stroke, man. I mean, a broad was, stroke there, was, there was 400 pages plus that hit the floor because nobody wants to buy a 700-page book on me. They're probably going, who the heck is this guy? You know, they're, it's a cute title. Somebody might pick up the book and go, who the heck is this guy? And maybe get sucked in. Who knows? Inside of you is brought to you by Shopify. You know I use Shopify. You guys go on the, you know, inside of you online store and you see how easy it is to navigate for you. It's so amazing. Shopify, I can't think of anyone else that would do this uh, the right way like Shopify does. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. It's so easy to navigate. And when you want to add discounts, like for instance, I just had a discount where I put uh, Michael 15 and that was my discount code. How much of a percent? 15% off the total order. Easy. Adding products. It's so easy. You put a picture. You just upload a picture. You put a description. It, it, it does everything for you. And the analytics are so easy to use. Uh, this is the most selling product. Oh, I should get more of those. This is the least selling product. This is how much I made for this month compared to last year or last month. It's so easy to navigate. I feel like a pro. And Shopify has really helped me do that. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash inside, all lowercase. Shopify.com slash inside now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash inside. Inside of you is brought to you by Factor. I love Factor Meals, Ryan. Do you know this? Yes. Why do you know this? Because I've seen them in your fridge and you've offered me some. And you've had them. And I've had them. And you love them. I do. Because I asked you every time. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I spent an enormous amount of money using delivery services for food or going grocery shopping and never eating the food that I buy or too many leftovers. And it's just, I waste so much money. And, you know, 
Factor Meals has really changed my life in a lot of ways because they have so many different meals, like 35 different meals, more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. And it takes just two minutes. So it doesn't matter how busy you are. It's two minutes to cook this stuff. You always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. And that's what Factor does. Um, I, I, I just can't get over all the things they have, like filet mignon, shrimp, blackened salmon, um, their breakfast items, everything, dessert. It's it's perfect for my lifestyle. And I think it's perfect for a lot of lifestyles. Um yeah, you can crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Keep kitchen time to a minimum. Factor meals are ready in two minutes. No shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. Warm, sunnier days are calling, Michael. Well, yes, they are. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian-approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. It's pretty incredible. Head to factormeals.com slash inside50 and use code inside50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code inside50 at factormeals.com slash inside50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Factor Meals. And that's why I wanted you on the show, because I think people should know you that don't know you, because mm. I think you are truly one of the legends yeah. of rock and roll. You are. Dude. And I know you're humble. Dude. I know you sit there and go, fuck this, whatever. But people, you have worked with everybody. You have. Worked I just on... know where all the bodies are buried. That's all. <laughs> you have to keep <laughs> me around. True. No, but you, you're really, you're so humble. I see after a concert at the Greek and how you treat people and how you hug people. And you're just a dude. And maybe because you've been through it, maybe in, in the, even in the forward, you say, what an asshole. Maybe I would have been if I hurt anybody feelings i'm sorry well, no, because, no, listen, nobody's, you know nobody's mr happiness all day long i'll give you a great i'm gonna give you a great example of this a lot of people when they meet somebody that they like or somebody's famous or whatever whatever it is sports actors musicians whatever that is people don't realize that everybody has real life you know what i mean like an example is uh, on our very first tour we were Toto. playing, yeah, Toto Tour in 1978. We were playing Massey Hall in Canada. Our original bass player, David Hungate, had just done Brian Adams' first album, Cuts Like a Knife, right? So he came to the show, introduced himself. We're all fans of the guy, you know, but, but uh, at the time he was just breaking as an artist. And he came to the show and he met David Page. And David apparently blew him off. Like, and, and you're a lead brought, singer. Well, you know, Toto. 20 years later, I talked to Brian on the telephone by accident. We were mutual friends. And he said, Yeah, man. He goes, You know, you guys were cool and all that, but like, what's up with Paige, man? What was the, what kind of an attitude is that? I go, what are you talking about? Dave is like the nicest man he is. ever on planet Earth. I mean, ever. I mean, never a harsh word. I mean, this is the nicest man I've ever known. And this was something that happened life. years ago. Yeah, yeah, and this was like 20, he carried around for 20 years, Paige. <laughs> and I go, what night was that, Massey Hall? I go, you know, Brian, um, Dave's mom, he, Dave came off the stage and found out his mother died. So he probably wasn't in the mood to be high. Nice Isn't that to meet something? You. People don't know what David. He was just walking down through. the hallway, and Brian goes, "Hey, man!" And David, like, probably just went like, "Not now, Brian." 
thought he blew him that's off a, that's without an explanation. First, uh, no, you know, sometimes you know you're a famous guy. People come up on the street, and sometimes you could be in the middle of crisis on the phone with sure. family or something. And you're I'm like, sorry, hey, hey, sorry. not now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're immediately on the internet. You're an asshole. It doesn't mean anything. I've seen the yeah. new one now. I've seen cats. You know, and I don't look. This is like I really don't. I have my shrinks. Like, don't look at this stuff. It's like cutting yourself. <laughs> but you know, the comment section and anything, or you know. Any message board or something yeah. is for guys like us is bad news, you know. Yeah. Brian carried that with him for all these years, and I said to Brian, I said, "Man, David's mom died that night," and he's like, "Oh man," I go, "He's a big fan of yours, Brian. Man, you should you should work with him. He's one of the best musicians I've ever been with in my life." And Brian called him up on the phone and flew him over to France, and he cut the track with Mutt and him. What was it? Uh, He's in the video. Dave's in the video. He's in the big Brian. Now they're buddies. Please release me or please believe me. Right. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, Brian. <laughs> I'm all that. Who are, who are you people? You've worked with millions. You're invisible. Of, you've who worked are on you millions of songs. How could you remember everything? You worked with Lionel Richie? I did. I've worked with Lionel Richie a bunch of times, but I did the famously probably the, the solo in uh, Running With The Night, which I was just warming up. Can you bring that up? I go, you to play that, Rob? And I go, uh, you know, uh, you know, he goes, here, we got a track for you. Do a solo on. I go, what key is it? He goes, hey, I go, we'll run the track. Let me just warm up and see what it's about. And I play it all over it. At the end of the take, he goes, uh, that's it. I go, that's it. I go, I was just warming up. What are you talking about? He goes, it's done. You're done. I go, stop. I go, I played way too much. And he goes, no, nah, I love it. It's great. You're just out of here. like that. I was out of there in fucking ten minutes session. How much would they pay you for a session like that? I don't know, a couple grand. I mean, that was you know, nineteen eighty five. Yeah, it was a couple grand or something like that. It's the but, chorus. The, it's the it's the lead guitar at, towards the end, right? The bridge. Well, the whole song. Well, the whole song, but the big yeah. running with the band. Oh, yeah, so, yeah it was just, that was like a zero take because I didn't even know I was being recorded. If you don't know this song, then. Uh, you, Probably it's an old one, you know. Yeah. It's a classic, you know. I got to play some cool stuff with some great people. Hang on, let me hear just. When's the last time you heard the song? Long time, really long time since I heard this. That's Carlos Rios on there playing the rhythm guitar. He's a great guitar player. Yeah, that's it. We get we get about fifteen seconds of each song. Yeah, that's right. Because you don't have to pay the ass cap, but you, you know, cheap we... motherfuckers. <laughs> You know, well, we don't. You know, you know, you've already devalued us so badly that we all of us have to spend our lives on the road now. Because Dude. you can't make a dime on records. Can't anymore. make a dime on records. A million streams, six thousand dollars gross for everybody. So why did, anybody, why would a musician anybody ever involved in the song? Then why would a musician ever put his music on Spotify? Because Say, tell me where the lo- local record store is besides Amoeba. Be, just put it on iTunes. If they want the song, they pay. iTunes takes 30% off the top, man. Great. What's 30% of a, of a dollar that, of their downloads? 70% it's the you same, make. It's the same equation. It's just they take more percentage off the top. No, no, no. You don't get 70 cents to every dollar on Spotify. If you're, well, no, you, nobody does. If you're, if you're a classic rock act that signed a record in, in the label. I mean, I, I went and rene- renegotiated a 50% deal for us uh, for, for all digital but spotify wasn't really big then so this thing's kind of taken over napster it's it's it it's life's it's the world's radio station record store download it's the only game in town right and there's nothing to fight we can't fight it it just is so what's going to happen sadly is people are going to stop making albums they'll make a track you'll cut a tune I mean, you're assuming you're making an album. Well, no, you're assuming people have the time to sit down for forty-five minutes and listen to your music, you know, without interruption, like we did as kids. 
Nobody will do that. No, not one person that's young will do that now. But people had no choice then, which was great. Well, they had was, to buy an album. No, because music, but music was everything for us. We didn't have, you know, cell phones and and computer games. It was like we either played the music or listened to it. We were all shitty at sports. We weren't like you. Uh, we were we were out. Look at me. I had neck surgeries. That's yeah, and, yeah, because I, of, because because it. you're constantly putting yourself in harm's way. But you suffer too. You have. You, we just talked about. Well, this yeah, before. but I was in a tour bus accident doing my well, job. Tour bus accident. But you hold guitars your whole life. You're always doing. You probably have a lot of shit going on with you. When I, after the accident, I had to take pain meds for a while because I was on the road. So. Yeah. I had to get off that stuff. What are you taking? I take Norco's for yeah, my that's, neck. That's... It kind of makes you a little cloudy, but it does make you feel good. If you For the first week, it does. And then after a oh, while, boy. you get used to it. And then your stomach starts going, hey, man. And, and that's bad. Shit, bro. That's bad. So, I mean, you know, my I, I, I was under doctor's care. I didn't, like, go out in the street and do this. I mean, I was like, you know, you got to do this. I had to finish a tour. I had no choice. Yeah. Well, we listen. Uh, we jumped the gun. But uh, you know, in, in truth, I mean that dr- that, that drugs alive uh, and any marijuana products, the, the the CBD bombs are absolutely essential to my life. All right. Well, and not and hey. not and you know, and you have some, and it actually helped. Honest hemp. It did. I just gave you some of this. I, I use know. This every and day. Both, both my right shoulder went because I was leaning on that for for a couple of years because my left shoulder was toast. Finally, it gave out. So. This one hurts more it's than more the less? last one. No, no. Yeah, well, maybe in a minute. Just put it on. But you know, the other thing was, you know, if I if I do take a, the indigo muscle relaxer as, not, as opposed to the head high, because that I can't. I don't want to be can't function. I don't want to be like you know, Snoop Dogg twenty four hours a day. As much as I love him, who doesn't love Snoop, <laughs> who doesn't Dogg? Love Snoop Dogg? You want know, you want you just that's a guy that you want to hang out with. Well, he's so high, he's on another planet that you just can't be on that planet with him. He's like the hip. Well, he's like you know. When we were young, it was Miles Davis or Billy Gibbons. It was like these are the two hippest people I've ever, you know, been around. They look cool. They the way they care, they talk. The way they care, their music is cool. Everything about they dress cool. Yo, Steve, grab that CBD you know, marijuana more for me. Yeah, you know what I mean. What do you think, Rob? That's great. Thanks. That's pretty good. Hey, dude, man. We, listen, we skipped over. We're something. not paying you ass cap either. Okay? <laughs> Kiss my ass cap. Listen, in the book, I know we go over stuff, but like a lot of people don't know you. How many how many people get together with someone in high school and stay with them for you their whole life? A band. You guys met at a high school in Burbank. No, it was actually an art Sherman school? Oaks Grand High School in the Valley. You know, uh, seventy three, seventy four. And these guys were older than you. No, I met Steve Picard, who was in the same grade as me. Me and my bro- buddy uh, Michael Landau, famous guitar player, right? Who we've been playing with together and been friends since we were twelve years old. But uh, we we went to Grand High School and we heard about this guy Steve Picaro had this killer band. His brother was in Steely Dan. Blah, Jeff Picaro, yeah. Jeff right. was in Steely Dan when we were in and high school. Then you Mike, Mike was playing with Seals and Crofts at the time. The music family and, and David like, Page wow. was there as well. Page was Page and Jeff were best friends, and they were working with uh, Jeff would work with Steely Dan and he worked with Seals and Crofts. And how old then, was he when he's working with these guys? He at the time was probably about eighteen. We were 15, 16, so you'd have been 18, 19, him and David. This is ridiculous. I was shitting my pants. I had no hair on my balls at that age, and you guys are all playing together, and he's playing with Steely Dan, and, like, this is an anomaly. This shit doesn't happen. Well, this, you know, we didn't play sports, bro. We were the geeks that practiced our instruments. And but you guys, I mean... You know, we were, it wasn't, like, really super cool to be a musician back then. But you all were so good it was, at what you, you did. Know, That's was rare. Me, rock music was still... Um, rebellious now everybody's mother and grandmother listen to rock and roll so it doesn't have the 
cultural impact that it did to my generation right who watched the beatles like aliens landed from the planet zolar or something like that you know and then carried it every day exponentially in real time to present day musically did you think you were trying to in the beginning trying to emulate some bands that you liked Did you think people have a i just wanted to that? make noise on this guitar that sounded like something re that resembled what i heard on the re on record or radio and at this time, you knew all the chords. No, I mean, I was a sponge. Were... I mean, I was struggling with it for a while. Nobody just picks it up and goes. But if you read the book, you'll hear the funny story about my grandmother, who was pretty new agey for a night, you know, late fifties. You know, in the in the late fifties, that goes to show how freaking old I am. Uh, my mother was nineteen, pregnant, and one of my mom, uh, my grandmother's, uh, my mom's mom that grandmother uh has these like psychic friends over which is considered super taboo at the time you know and one of them put her hand on my mom's belly and said oh it's a boy he's i hear a lot of music a musician he's gonna small be a, dick. he's gonna be a musician small dick yeah <laughs> you throw it at you yeah, the, come the, on man you know small dick jokes are like fart jokes they're always funny even as tired as they you is, send the them to me is. all the time. Yeah, I get them from you when you're playing over in Australia. Well, my, my other theory is, you know, I never had to really grow up. I never. I most people they why should you adolescent and you're always in every all adolescents from ages twelve to eighteen are idiots pretty much. Yeah, right. Whatever you're into, but see that then they go to college. You have to grow up, and then you're going to get a job and get married and do the whole thing. I just skated right through that part where you had to grow up and get it together, and I went right on the road. To present day so my sense of humor sort of stayed about You're 16 18, 17, 17. Yeah, yeah, yeah. now let me ask you so when was it where all the guys because they, they asked you to join a band let's come in with well we had a high school band dave and jeff had a high school band then steve picaro took over the high school band and me and mike joined that with our buddy john pierce uh, from Huey's band, he was you know who was my first childhood friend ever in life. Huey Lewis, yeah. Who was he? In Huey John Lewis? Pierce, bass player. Wow, that's how Toto began. Yeah, Ultimately, it was all Steve you Bacall, guys. Carlos Vega, me, and then Jeff and Dave would come down and play with us. And we had some great singers, and and you started playing out, and you start people start you, you started we noticing all over the valley where people going. These guys are fucking well, good. Well, yeah, I mean there was no DJs back then. It was like they wanted real live music, and they wanted people who could make it sound like the record. And we could do that. We were basically a Steely tribute band. <laughs> In high school, we did all sorts of weird music. We didn't just do top forty music. Well, who said, "Hey, let's do our own shit"? Who said, "Let's come up"? Well, with that song? was later. I mean, after you know, when Dave and Jeff did the Boss Gag Silk Degrees record, which was huge with Lowdown and Lido and all those. Page wrote those songs with Boz and Jesus. Jeff played, and then Steve Bacall and I joined the tour because we were just out of high school. Steve was coming from Gary Wright. And I was just Gary Wright school. sang the famous song, a couple of them. Yeah, he, uh, he did that tour. What was the, the Dreamweaver? Dreamweaver, you know Dreamweaver. Love right? is alive and all that stuff. When those records Your really love is yep. actually came out, Steve was out of, left school to play Moog bass with uh, you know live with Gary Wright. Did the Frampton Jesus. Yes tour, the stadiums and all. He was seventeen at the 17? time. Yeah, so it's so right from there for Boz. I joined Boz band halfway through the Boz tour. Sony or what was then Columbia Records heard that Dave and Jeff were putting a band together and we were going to be in it. And uh, they offered us the big deal around, without hearing a note. That was Toto. And, and that was the first album. We did, we did four demos, which ended up, none of the songs ended up on the first album. They ended up on this Toto 20 record and we did some re-records of a couple things. But um, And what year is heard this? The music, this? 79? 76, 77. June 9th, 77. Was the first time I I played on a track with Jeff and Dave. I remember the day because when I did the book, I had 
did the research and I had all my old date books. I've kept every year at a glance date books since 1974. Did you ever, when you go back, did you ever have tear up and like get emotional? Sure, a man, lot during writing this pe- book? There, there are people that aren't here anymore. Way too many. A lot of people. I've lost a lot of your close what, friends. 74 people, 75 people in the last two years. Two of my best friends. A lot of musical colleagues, a lot of family, a lot of old friends. Some people just get sick, man. I'm at the age now where, you know, it's not just about having a cold or a sore throat anymore, man. No. There was a, now it's you hear the word procedure. Sphincter tightening words like procedure and yeah. tests. You'll have to come in and we'll have to have a look at that. <laughs> I'm going to take this off you and send and it away. Oh, Mr. Lucas. No, I was just at my, I'm so paranoid. I go to the doctor every two months. And I'm as healthy as I am now. I mean, I, I, I did beat up the frame. You look good. Point. How old are you? I'm 61. I'll be five months. I'll be 62. Oh, oh man. Ouch. <laughs> How did that happen? You're all right. You're all right. I used to be the youngest guy in the room. I don't know what happened. But, you know, you're right. Because I remember, like, a couple concerts. What's what's amazing to me is you don't... You're one of those guys who don't forget. You don't forget those people in your life that touch you. Because you're playing at the Greek, I think, or the Hollywood Bowl or something. And you get on stage and you say... You t- start talking about Jeff Beccaro. And you start talking about him. And I, I feel... And Mike, like, man. And Mike. And I'm looking at you. And I'm like, oh, it, it, it feels like it just happened. Like, the way you're emoting, like... You know... I'll put it to you really just, simply, and yeah. anybody that's ever lost anybody that they love, which is probably everybody, that loss, you know, you you learn to accept it, but the, there's always going to be a hole where that person used to be. And as you get older, that hole, the holes are more, and that's why older people sometimes look sad, because they don't have, their friends are all gone. That's a, you know, I think it's weird now that some of my friends are dropping, I don't mean to throw that away you know they're passing away um but imagine being 80 years old looking around the room going am i the last man standing aging's not for the faint of heart i mean it's just you know what i mean and you know i know people that are 80 years old i mean jesus ringo's 79 in a month jesus i just you know and i adore that man you know and he's as healthy as you can be and he he could see 100 i wouldn't be surprised I put money on it. the way he lives, the way he eats and relaxed, and he's just his whole, hey, you know, the way he lives his life. It's an inspiration, actually. Yeah, he just keeps going. I don't know how he does it because I feel sometimes I'm like almost forty seven. I'm like I can't. I don't want to go take a weekend. Yeah, trip but to here's the thing. You, you know, you're an actor. I'm a musician. I mean, I'm never gonna stop playing. You know, people who say when are you gonna retire? Retire and do what? Watch TV, scratch my nutsack. You'll play till the very end. Yeah, well, what else am I supposed there's to guitar, do? I mean, you know, there's a guitar right there. I think, I think um, the touring would slow down. I mean, that we sure. do, I'm doing a lot of it now because that's how we do it. I think I'd, I'd always want to go out and play live. I think what I do is probably just trim it back to like, you know, they always say when I get older, maybe I might want to live in Italy overlooking the ocean. You know, change of life, just completely go left field. When my little kids get older. How many have? Four? I have four. I have two grown, wonderful kids. Tina, 34, living in Vegas, married, wonderful kids. Your cat. granddad. Yeah, well, I, could, I, I could do that. I'm kind of hoping that, you know, that's, that's one of the things I've yet to experience in this life. Listen, man, when it's my time, I can't be mad at anybody. I've gotten, the, I've had the most amazing life. Like I put like three, four lives into this one. You know, some of it was a little dark and weird, but most of it was great. Do you get you get anxiety? Yeah, terribly. Do you have you do you get anxiety before you go on stage? So, well, I didn't used to, but when I stopped drinking, 
I found out that that helped quell the anxiety. Did you, were you ha- when you say drinking before you go on on stage? I was just shit faced. But would you have three or four through, beers? No, through the course of the evening, you know, it got bad, and I had some really shameful shows. I'm, shameful I'm, shows where I'm, you can't even play. Pretty, well, just played sloppy and shitty, and then noticeably, thanks to the miracles of YouTube. I get to relive some myself watching myself fall down the stairs and compound fractures and teeth missing and eyeballs. You out. You could watch that on YouTube. Well, metaphorically speaking, you know what I mean. I just I I know I was sick. I was sick. I fucked up. I'm sorry. I mean, I got I got off the track, man. But I'm back on the track, and I have been for ten years. But there was a dark period. There was a good decade in there that was. I just was so unhappy with everything in my life, and it's hard to explain. I just was so. I was trying to put a fire out and drown something that it was what was it that i couldn't it was my personal life it was everything in my personal life but what was my, causing that well, like, well what, you know my mother was dying and my my marriage was dying and i was having a baby which surprised me my band was in shambles you know we were falling apart were you and, fighting all the time nah, it was more like you know bobby wasn't singing it was terrible at the time poor guy he was struggling and i was just going this is I'm looking around the stage. Look, where are my original high school brothers? Great band we had. Incredible player. All my friends. Love them all. But the original thing, you know, where are my high school brothers? They were all gone. And I realized that I just was in a bad place in my life, and I had to pull the plug because I was hurting myself and hurting people around me and embarrassing myself as a musician. Not all the time, but I had some bad nights, you know, and those are the ones that get all the attention. And what year? So you're talking about when you, you quit Toto? I don't want to put everybody on it. You know what I mean? It just you know, I just assume forget it. And some people on the internet, you go, you know, I have my sister go, hey man, can you take that down. The kid, you got, you're kicking a man when he's down, and they go, no man, I got too many hits. I'm making money off and fuck him. They don't care about me. They don't care about anybody. Yeah, I'm not the only one. There's other guys from my generation who went off the railers for a while many you know i'm funny we all quit about the same time and they're all my friends and they're all famous people that you know sure that had a reputation of being the wild boys drinking and carousing and all the rest of it you know and it was fun for a minute but then it was then it became silly we got a little older and it wasn't funny it was sort of like oh my god really this guy's still at it you know were you ever at the moment where you're like i don't even want to be here i want to drive my car off a fucking cliff yeah i've been i would never do it because i have children but i mean you know you get to a point where you bullied, you know. I was bullied my whole life since I was a little Bullied? Kid. Yeah, just bullied by the press, bullied by people. I was always on the defensive because everybody was beating us up so the time. I just assumed everybody was coming at me all the time. Yeah. Bad reviews, you know. See, this is what pisses all me off. This stuff, is, people this is... beating you up, and then I get older, and then this, the internet kicks in, you know. Yeah. Where it's not just one critic in every town. Everybody's a critic. Well, here's what I level playing field, you Steve, know. Steve, I, I look at this book, and what I gather, too, from this book is... How much I can see that hurts you where it's like, look, you say, hey, whoa, whoa, but let me, let me book in that with, I've also had the best career I know, ever. I know. I'm not complaining. No, no, I'm no. not going, oh, woe is me. Oh, poor little Steve. No, 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 no. I'm no. just saying historically anybody would go, no, these guys got beat up real bad. Right. But what, what, what bothers me when I read this and what bothers you. I don't care anymore, but is, it's, you know. But hang on. But you were trained musicians. You were studio musicians who knew how to play music, who could play with anybody, who could walk in and play whatever anybody wanted. Well, and you were getting put down yeah. because you were that good. No, they, That's essentially what it is. Well, no, I was working on the Cheap Trick record, Dream Police. And Bunny goes to me, he goes, you guys aren't a real band. And I go, what are you talking about? 
I'm said, not Toto's a real, not a real band. Yeah, I go, well, we went to high school together. I don't know how much more real of a band we could be. Oh, you're all studio guys. Like, people throw that around like it's a bad thing. Like, what's it? What's like I any, wish like, I could like, play like anybody well. could do that. It's like, I don't think so, man. It was a different skill set. We didn't just sit there and read dots on a paper, read music that was already written for us. We'd get a sketch with a bunch of chord symbols on it, and they count off the song. No rehearsal, no idea what we were going to do that day, no idea what style we were going to play, who we were going to play with. Sometimes we didn't even know who the artist was or anything. So we had to be ready for anything, and we had to create and arrange these spot parts on the spot. Example, example. Okay, example, but okay. Quick I'll, examples. Boom, boom, let's hear uh, it. Mike McDonald, keep forgetting. Take two. That's the record. Take, take two is the record. Yeah, take I one, take one. I'm not yeah, in love We were just anymore. jamming. Michael was, when, he, when we got there, Michael Rob. goes, we're going to cut this song right now. And he starts playing the roads and playing, singing the song, and then Jeff Picard starts playing that groove. And I, th- I believe Lewis Johnson boom, played bass, boom, and they, st- and we were just vamping boom, on the intro. Boom, and then I came boom, up, boom. Dun, 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 dun. I started playing that first take. Boom. That wasn't written. None of this part was written. And then my, everybody's going, "Yeah, yeah." It was Teddy Templeman was was producing the guy who did Van Halen, and I believe Lenny Warnaker, another famous producer. Well, I'll play that. And then thing. and then Michael's, you know, then we started playing. It, and then we we figured out a couple of chords. Uh, what's that part? And then figured out a little part, and then they cut it, and we cut the second take. Was it just like that? Lots of stuff like. And that. do they pay your agents, or they just give you a wad of cash in that? No, things we you know by today's standards, we'd get songwriters for that, but not back then. It was just considered arrangement. They'd hire the best studio guys to bring all of their ideas for arrangements, which is now called songwriting. Now back then, it was just adding flair to a song that had simple chords adding hooky parts and stuff little things right. ear candy that's what we got hired to were do. you excited oh, we did that every day for you know 25 times a week and you became friends with michael mcdonald pretty much yeah. after that because well we knew michael in school i didn't know him because he was the steely dan with jeff right before the doobie brothers before any of his success Peg. well at one point um he was asked to be a singer in our band Really? You just joined the Doobies. Could you imagine? It would have been a much different band. I bless the rains down in Africa. <laughs> it would have been. It, it could have happened. Meet and, you all the way. Well, he, he's done that. and we, we, We've toured together. I mean, we're dear well, friends. Well, you wrote a song. You I wrote adore Michael. Songs, I adore Michael and his wife, Amy, so much. You wrote, as, as soon as my heart stops. Yeah. And he's back up yeah. there. Star starts breaking. Yeah. He's in the video Tears. too. Yeah, dude. I mean, you guys worked a lot. All right, so give me another session. Another cool set. People love this shit, and Rob's gonna play this a little lick of it. Another session. You just walked in and boom. They were all like that. I mean, we were expected to perform and, instantly. And no rehearsal. You just went in there and did it. No idea. How does someone not respect someone who could do that? Well, and this is before the machines came in. You know, once people started, the machines came in, then people could make demos at home. Then it became the horror of beat the demo. You know, that doesn't sound like a demo, man. Can you just play the demo again? Can you get that? See that way you're playing that part? And it's like demo-itis was the worst thing in the world. It was much easier to do it when there was just a guy playing a guitar or a piano going, here's my song. Right. Uh, but when they start bringing in completely produced demos, they're going, why don't you just use that if you like it so much? But the quality wasn't quite there. Now with Pro Tools, you can. there's no such thing as a demo. You get a vibe on there, and you just start overdubbing on it, and it becomes the record against that quality. Yeah. So there's a lot of pluses and minuses. On the other hand, it's too easy. 
You can, you know, you could take your dog barking and turn them into a Mariah Carey record. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, there's a lot of tricks of the trade. That's right. just, the richest guy in town now is the guys that do the Pro Tools editing for vocals. Here, tune this vocal, tune this. So you know, you, you had know, none of that. We had none of that. You can't even know we had to play. Hey, the Beatles cut their first album in two days. Side one, side two. Thanks. Next. All those great Phil Spector's records. You know, you lost that love and feeling. Cut on Friday on the radio Monday. That was the record. When they said, "Let's hear that back." That's the record. So I mean, now it's you got a hundred billion tracks. What's the most magical moment where you where you guys are laying down a song and just magic came out and you, and you hit it right away and you're like, "This is fucking a gold." Well, there was a lot of moments like that actually, but uh, one that sticks out is Rosanna. That just really fell into place. It was like that was another take two. First one, take was, two. Yeah, we had rehearsed it a lot. You no, we had never heard the song until the day we cut it. We never rehearsed our rack. We just show up. And go, who's got a song? That was how we made all the first. That's how you the, made your album. The first ten records were like that. Wait, wait, wait! Everybody so, wrote songs and stuff like that. David was the pr- primary songwriter at first. He was so good, we just didn't even want to talk. But he would encourage us. Come on, guys, start bringing some stuff in. And he'd hear us pl- I'd be playing at the piano on a break or something like that. Or you know, he'd go, "I love that. Finish that." You know what I mean? And so David was really nurturing to all of us, and Je- including Jeff. And you know, and let's bring everybody into writing songs. All right. So and by the total four album, we'd all we Rob, started give me a little get, Rosanna. We started filling our oats like everybody is a writer. Like we would put our toe in the water. We we're getting our songs on records, you know. So David was our hero, and he was encouraging us and teaching us and mentoring us into stepping up our game. And that's when total four is when it sort of all clicked for us. You know, the first Jesus. album was like, wow, we get to make a record. The other two, we were trying to find our sea legs. We want to be this. We got we started reading our own bad press and getting paranoid and tried to be something we weren't or veered away from what people liked about us in the first place. And when we came back to it on total four, once we said, stop trying to be what we think we're going to be, or, you know, we're just going to be ourselves. And the record company goes, you better deliver. Otherwise you're done. That was rather, really, that's how they were. Oh yeah. I mean, you'd be very inspired when you realize that like, you know, you may lose the dream, you know, I, I, I just can't even imagine going in and not having songs really prepared. We never did. Never. The only thing we did is when the machines kicked in, we started working with outside writers. You could, I'd bring in a, a, a pretty polished demo. So, so some of Jeff would go, "Why don't I just put that on the twenty-four track and let me play drums to that?" Well, yeah, it just go. starts with a beat. Well, this the original groove. This is a Bo Diddley groove, not this. Really? That that that. Dave started like that. And Jeff goes, no, 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 no. We were listening to Fool in the Rain and Babylon Sisters. Jeff goes, no, this is what, should, this is where it should be. And he came up with that groove, and we all just jumped in, started jamming on it, and then, wait, 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 let's write down the chords and get it right. So uh, we got made a little chord sheet, and then we started. How fun was this? Was you having a great time back then? You know, we weren't we weren't married. We were just living in the studio doing sessions and making our own records and everybody was hanging out. All the studios were buzzing. Like Van Halen would be in studio one. We were in the two. And, and you knew pre- that you worked with them. Yeah. 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 No, we were all, we've been friends forever, but every, every studio we were in, we knew everybody and the artists would come in to be co-mingling. We'd hang out in the, in the, you know, the group area, whatever. You'd see everybody party with them, come in and dig our record. Come in, we'll come dig yours. It was a camaraderie. It was kind of cool. This one kind of just came out. Was this, yeah, I remember when Dave played that for me in his apartment in Westwood before the first album came out. 
He has spin at piano. He's going, I got this new tune. Invited us all up. And we said, well, that's, that's, you got some shit there, man. And, and you just came up with that, bam. Yeah, I, mean, well, I was thinking, I, I was, I, you know, trying to rock everything up, you know. Always, were they ever like, hey, hey, can you just rock a little down? No, no, no. Were they ever, they have to dial you no, down? I mean, well, look at everybody brought something different to the band, which made it collectively when we play together, make that noise, you know. Because of the different musical influence of each individual musician and stuff like that, you know, I was the guy that wanted to turn everything on eleven. Jeff was really Jeff and Hungry were the groove guys, you know. Paige wanted to be Elton, and Steve was the, wanted to be Keith Emerson, the Mad Scientist. But how do you and all we had come Kimble, together? Kimball who wanted to be Ray Charles. So we put that in a big musical gumbo, and without we didn't never talk about it. Just, it seems like you had to fight because you all wanted different things. No, man, we didn't. You know, we didn't want to work that hard. We want to get it done quick. This is, some people say, one of the best songs ever. <laughs> one of the best songs ever. You play a million times, you know this song. How did this come about? Uh, well, it sort of it was a production experiment, you know what I mean? Really? You're going to have to pay for this now, you know that. But I'm not going to make any money, so I don't care. No, we only play 10 seconds of it. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, kill me. Um, it was they had just gotten. Uh, they were Steve Picaro and David Page were working in uh, R and D with uh, Yamaha. They had to sign non disclosure lab coats and all that crap back right. in the late seventies, early eighties, and they were making the GS one and the CS eighty. They're top of the line new synthesizer keyboards that no one's heard of, and it had kalimba sounds and all these wacky sounds that it inspired Dave to come up with the initial part of Africa, the riff, and he started playing the riff, and we're going, man, that's really, and singing before lyrics, singing the melodies. We're going, that's a killer, man. That's catchy as, that's catchy as fuck. We should cut that. And then Jeff goes, yeah, but let's do it differently. Let's let's do loops and stuff, like, you know. What's that mean? Drum loops. And then we'd really make, like, it's old school electronic music. He'd go out, and we work with Al Schmidt, legendary Grammy Award winning, you know, producer, engineer. <laughs> legendary i mean he knew how to do all this stuff we wanted you know we heard about the beatles doing stuff or pink floyd doing stuff we wanted to do stuff like our heroes you know you were 20 what 22 when this came out 20 no i was 23 24 when right, I right. Did that record. jeff went out and said i'm gonna play for a minute just record i'm gonna pick one or two bars that feels good and then we're gonna overdub on that so he just went out and started playing the group dave was playing a rough keyboard part and jeff goes okay let's use this bar and then they cut the tape they recorded on a half-inch machine, and he took that, and they cut it and then edited it together so that it would be an endless loop of just Jeff playing the groove. And if you hear the record, you can hear there's one bar that keeps going. Then we were all playing to that and overdubbing to that. And so then Dave went out and got his main keyboard part out there, played the, the, the CS80, which is the part that's the intro of the song, that weird keyboard sound. Well, not weird keyboard. It's a very unique when people hear it, they go, oh, yeah, that song. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, and, and they cut that. Then he put a piano part on it. Then Hungate put a bass part on it. Then I started putting a ton of acoustic guitars, electric guitars on it. And then um, Jeff called his father, Joe, and Emil Richards, very famous percussionist, to bring down all the African weird percussion. And actually, they did that before we started putting all the rest of the stuff on there. And they made it all, built this whole percussion thing. We filled up four 24 tracks with stuff, you know, Jesus. and I think it was the first mix to sync up four twenty-four track machines. They had a guy with the lab coats in there, you know, they were looking at everything, and it took a while for it all to sync up. This was like nineteen eighty-one, so it was pretty heady 
tech stuff Did at the you top. know something was really well, special? No, the thing was, we cut this track, and then Dave, you know, Dave and Jeff went away with the lyrics. You know, Dave had he came back with the lyrics, and we started cracking up, going like, "Dave, what Africa? What does this mean? Serengeti? You bless the rains? Yeah, who, Dave, are you Jesus? Are you <laughs> blessing the rains?" <laughs> And we kind of cartooned on it. And we thought, oh, God. The wild dogs cry out in yeah, the night? Yeah, I mean, I'm going, this, and we were cracking. I go, this song's a hit. I'll run naked on Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> I go, it's a great track. It's a great exercise in production. There's some hooky parts. But this is never going to be a hit record. So we'll just bury it and put it as the last song on the whole album. And now, who knew it would turn into what it did? I mean, it was big back then. It was the number one. Oh my one god! The Grammys and all. Did that I stuff. remember 1982 going to Westlake with my family and friends? That song was the that year, the whole year. It was that's all you ever heard. You won a Grammy for that. Yeah. You won five Grammys, right, in your life? I think it was. Well, if you count all of them, then I was like nine. But I, who's I won, counting? I won, one, I won one for writing uh, "Turn Your Love, Love Around, Around" for uh, George, George Benson. Benson yeah. I co-wrote that with uh, Jay Graydon and Bill Champlin. What about from Chicago? Bill Champlin, right? Yeah. Yeah. Originally from the Sons of Champlin. Ah, uh, yes. And then you also wrote The Tube, She's a Beauty, co-wrote? With David Foster and Fee Webel, yeah. Talk to you later, too. Jesus. I got played on all that stuff, too. I mean, you, you really could have. You say you're going to play till the end, but you you could have retired 20 years ago. You've done so much. It's like, if I did one-tenth as much as you did, I'd be like, God, I'm, I'm a legend. Yeah, but what am I supposed to do with my life? I mean, I've retired uh, from being a Disney session World? guy. I haven't been a session guy in 25 years. Would you still do it? Occasionally, somebody, that I, a friend or somebody really cool calls me on the phone. I go, I'll do a solo. I'll show up. And, oh, I just, do you charge? I just did something for uh, Edgar Winter. Do you charge for solo still, for a session? Well, I mean, I go, pay me whatever you want. If I decide to do it, like a good I, go, buddy, I go, pay me what you pay everybody if else. If a good buddy says, hey, man, can you come in for two hours for five grand? No, I mean, I wouldn't take any money from a great buddy. I mean, not to say that these people aren't great buddies, but if everybody's getting paid, you got to pay me too. So I just go, oh, pay yeah. me what you're paying everybody else. That's cool. Favor Nation's Rob? deal. He's waiting to ask you to come play. <laughs> no, no, no. He's waiting to ask I you to come say, play on his No, album. no, no. I have a, album's done. It's, a, you're, it's not good enough. Oh, you actually, you made a record? Yeah, I made an album. I always wanted to. I said, fuck it. I made an album. I would have played on your record because you're my friend. I would have done it for nothing. Well, I didn't say it was mastered yet. <laughs> I'm busy right now. Catch me on the next one. You're always busy. You're the busiest fucking guy I've ever met in my life. You're always on tour. You're always doing something. You're a good dad. You're a good family man. Well, I have a lot. Trev, of... your son, is a great kid. Yeah, I is. love that guy. He's a great kid. He comes over, gives me a big kiss in the lips when I see him. He's doing really well. Actually, his band's going to open so good. 10 what's, what's shows. The band? ZFG. Zero fucks given is what it stands for. Zero fucks given. It's him and Mike Bacaro's son, Sam. Josh uh... Devine from One Direction on Drums Killer. Uh, Jules Galley, this kid, this kid singer is an unbelievable singer, and they all look, they have the look. They're young, skinny little dudes. Does he ask you for advice ever? Does he ever say, "Dad, what do you think of this?" Occasionally, Dad, can you help me out with this? You know, I'm his father. I'm also he's also my best friend. You know, I mean, he's 32 yeah. years old now. It's only he's my bud, man. You know, I, I I think he was my dad in the past life. He's much wiser. Does he, he, tell he skipped you? all the bullshit I went through and went right to being a response. Does he call person. you on bullshit? Yeah. Oh, did you sure. say, Dad, fuck off. You're lying. Yeah, sometimes. I don't always agree with him, but sometimes he's right. <laughs> hey, listen, I want, I want, I know you gotta get out of here. I could talk to you forever. But listen, man, this is fucking, Rob, isn't this great? This is so interesting because we never have musicians really in here. Who have we had? Not many musicians. Oh, we, really? Okay. Well, had, I like that. I like that. I'm, you're like really the first. We had like a, a younger musician, Andrew uh, McCann. McMahon. McMahon, who's oh, great. Andrew. He was fantastic. The guitar player, right? Uh, keyboard player. 
Okay, it's a different guy. I'm sorry. Yeah, but he he was fantastic. But the, like having you in here, a legendary to me, legendary. you're a rock star. So. Uh, <laughs> No, I'm just your guy next door that plays guitar. You time. really are just a guy, but you happen to be a really good guy and a good guitarist. Thank Great you. Guitar. You're very kind. Anyway. Thanks uh, to your audience for putting tell, up with my nonsense. Now, tell me about, tell me about, let's just jump into this because people want to hear this, the Thriller album. Because, I mean, that's like you've talked about it a million times. Yeah. It's in your book. Well, yeah. You can read all this in his book. Well, of course, it's, the, it's probably the most famous record I played on, yeah. Most famous record. Did you, were you excited do you get starstruck when you back, even back then? Oh when man, you were meeting we got people? the call. I mean, I'd been working with Quincy. I did the whole Dude album, you know, all that just once and all those. Wait, wait, just once. James Ingram. Yeah. Wait a minute. You worked on That's just me. once. Yeah. I was Can there. we find a way? I did that whole album, fi- a thousand ways, and all that shit. That's one hundred ways. That's yeah, all me, man. All that whole era, Patty Austin, all those great what stuff. Yeah, I did all that stuff, and then from that. You know, Quincy was going to make the night. You know, it was off the wall was huge. Steve Picard worked on that. And David Foster introduced me to Quincy. And then Quincy took a shine to me, him and Bruce Swedeen. I adored these guys. They treated me like a king, man. They were great. And then, you know, being mentored by Quincy at the time, it just, I was 23 years old, 23. And they took me in, took a shine to a little white boy from North Hollywood, you know. And I was Rod Temperton, man, you know, still learning his whole. He had a really unique way of making records, and Rod wrote a lot of stuff on Off the Wall, and he was going to be writing with Michael for Thriller. So they said, well, we want you on. I said, Q's like, I want you on a bunch of this stuff. You, Jeff, Page. Well, you know, he said mostly to me, but the first call we got was to do Paul McCartney, Michael Jackson duet. That was the first track cut for the, the whole album. The mine. Yeah. We, and we got the call to do this, so we were really excited. And Paul McCartney, I get to meet my first Beatle. Paul McCartney, are you kidding me? Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson. I mean, there wasn't a bigger session to be had. What's the town. first thing you said to Paul McCartney? What's the first thing I, he said you know, to I, you? I think I was probably just like... Enamored. Trying, remembering to breathe, because I probably couldn't. And he was so... But him and Linda strolled in, and she was so lovely and Linda so McCartney, wonderful. Oh. And they made us feel at ease. I mean, of course, we must have looked like... You know, like, if from his point of view, he walked in the room and there's Paige, me, Steve, and, you know, the cats that were on the right, Lewis Johnson, all the, the, who, J.R. No, it was, it was Jeff, Jeff McCarl. And, you know, we this look at these, you know, we just, the God just walked into Didn't the Didn't he room. say something like... I mean, like... we must have looked like we saw, like, you know, just the, like this... <laughs> Jesus. The look, we all, like, fra- flash frozen. Oh, my God. Like, we've, we met Santa Claus. He's real. Didn't he He's say in the room. Didn't he say to you, he goes, he goes I smell marijuana. Must no, be no, musicians. No, 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 no. What was it? No, well, that, that was later. That was later. Um, we cut the track. We worked. For, you know, oh, we, you worked in that. No, no, we worked. And we, we were just getting, you know, poking at each other. And we started jamming on I Was Made to Lover, the Stevie Wonder song, and Paul and Michael and the phones. And we were jamming. It was killing. Made everybody feel at ease. And then. Uh, you know, we played the track and nailed it real fast. And after there were, there was a hundred people in the room. There was all sorts of weird, Dick Clark and child stars, and Michael was carrying around Emmanuel Lewis like a ventriloquist. You know, the, the Webster. <laughs> he ate like a ventriloquist dummy. He was just hanging over his arm, walking around. You're just hanging out. I'm like going his Webster, man. He's carrying Webster around. And we're all in the in the you know. In, there's the control room with all the you know menagerie, and then there was us out in the control room, uh, out in the studio. With the gear and just sitting around, you know, through smoking cigarettes or whatever. And, you know, I think we got the track and Jeff sparked up a joint. And then all of a sudden, Paul and Linda are in the room. We're going, uh-oh. And, and Paul goes, I smell musicians. You know? <laughs> and and that totally broke the ice. And, and him and Linda, we got this great moment. When Quincy and everybody, Michael, were all in the control booth doing all the crazy stuff for the press and all that. Because it was a big deal. It was a very private, super high security thing. 
and we were just out there goofing off being ourselves and he came out and hung out with us we were around the piano and he started telling us some Beatles stories and stuff like that and he took us he really liked the experience and he invited Jeff and I to come to you know London and work with him in his movie and you know we got to hang you know met, that's where we met George Martin and Jeff Emmerich and we spent two weeks with those guys it was, it was I, this, it's all in the book. It's a great story. It's a long one, but I mean, he was my first Beatle I'd ever got to meet. Did you enjoy working with Michael? Yeah, Michael was great to me. I did all the stuff on Beat It. That's all me except for the solo. I played all the guitar parts and the bass part, and did Eddie played the solo. Yeah, Eddie played the solo. I played all all that stuff. I came up with the back half of that part. But um, no, that was that was great, and we did. Uh, Human nature was basically a Toto song. Why? Steve Picard why? wrote the song. That's all I was playing. That's another example of just the song had no guitar when Quincy and Michael cut it, and Quincy calls me and goes, "You got to make this song funky for me, man. It's not funky enough for Michael." Human I nature loved... needed to be funky. Well, you know, it didn't have the guitar part that's on there right now. That's a kind of glue for the whole song. Right, and there was just whole notes. Dun. You know, and then I, then, and then Quincy, Quincy goes, you know, do you got something for me, man? I need your help here. And I came up with that part on the spot and then I double tracked it. And that's the record that you hear now. Ironically, when Steve Picaro heard the, heard my part, he hated my guitar part because <laughs> he'd never heard guitar on the song at all. And then, and then I put that, it's a very quirky, weird sound. It was a guitar, Schecter guitar plug direct into the Harrison console with a little bit of harmonizer, and I double tracked it. So it has this weird, unique guitar sound you never heard on anything else because it was just a one of a one day. It wasn't like you press a button, you can have that sound. We actually created that sound from nothing. What would you, uh, would you change anything about the life you've led, life you've had, the mm. shit you've done? Sure, man, I would. What would you change? Not a lot of it. I, I, you know, the mistakes. You know. Well, we all make mistakes. Yes, yeah, so I would. I would have. I would have been a lot more careful with my money. I would have stayed away from hard drugs. I well, would, I, looked, I would have not have drank so much to the point where I had to stop because it was affecting my life. I, I hurt some people that I loved through through the years, and I made some mistakes. You know, I was in anger. I've said things I wish I hadn't. I can't say. I mean, I got to live the dream and that I always have as a little kid of being a working musician. I, the dream actually turned out much better than I had hoped, but there's a price. And that price is being away from watching my children grow up every day. I can't ever get that back. So, I mean, you know, I spend a lot of time with my kids, hands-on when I'm home. I'm like, I drive to school, I'm going to pick up my daughter and go to the volleyball game. I'm same fruity dad as every one of you, you know. Any Anyone of father out there, I do the same stuff. And I mean, but the, the, I'm, not, I'm not some big special guy. I go out, I mean, like, I have famous friends. Yeah. I mean, every once in a while, somebody goes, hey, my my 11-year-old's my like, really, Dad? I go, yeah, hey, listen, these people are nice. They help pay for our house. We have to be nice to the people. <laughs> do you have a lot of friends? I'm flattered, that really. I mean, it's not like it happens all the time. Do you have a lot of friends that aren't famous? Do you, yeah. Do you, would you rather my, hang I out? I have a lot of my childhood friends. Like, are still my childhood friends. Still the same guys. Yeah, we get together all the time. Well, not all the time. We try to get together at least every couple of months or so. Who's the famous guy that you really loved you just feel really comfortable with? Like you could be yourself a million Ringo? percent. With Ringo, you could be yourself a million percent. Yeah. There's no bullshit. There's just two guys hanging out in a room. You're with Ringo Starr, and you don't feel at all like I have to be someone else. No. It's Steve Lukather. We've become great friends. I, I respect and adore the man, and he's took a shine to me, and we, you know, we hang outside of the gig, you know. I, I heard from him this morning, as a matter of fact, you know. 
Can we call I him? Still Let's call him Ringo. I still Let's get a kick when I call Listen, I'd be lying if I told you I didn't get a kick when I see Ringo texting. Yeah, it's Ringo texting you. You know, Why? It's, you know I, like every once in a while. I mean, I go back to that, you know, being that kid watching the Beatles on the TV show, but we're way past all that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as you a man, if his it. name was Bob Smith, I go, this is still the coolest guy I've ever met in my life. I want to hang out with this guy. His wisdom, his humor, his, just his talents, and his, it's a joy to be around. Man. What about the worst guy? What about one of the worst people you've worked with that you just would never work with again? What's the worst guy you ever played with? Know, like, know, he's on a tour with you, and you're like, I want to fucking punch this guy. You out. know, I, there are a few, but I'm not going to tell you. You can't tell me. Because it just opens up wounds that don't need to be opened up. You know, here's the thing. You know, nobody gets along with everybody 24-7, 100% of the time. There's guys that you meet and you go, oh, that guy's cool. And then you go on the road and you go, eh, that guy's a rub there, man. You know, and I have a tendency to speak my mind. If I. People know if I you don't call like bullshit him. when I see it. Not always the popular thing to do. You ever get in a fist fight? No, man. I'm a, come on, man. I'm a guitar player, dude. I've mouthed, you never had somebody threaten I've you? I've mouthed off like I got something to back it up with, but I got nothing, man. Especially now I'm broken. What am I going to. The only thing I'm good for is if I get one lucky punch and can run like a motherfucker. But that's it, man. <laughs> our drummers, I'm not, I'm not, I, our drummers, I'm an old guy. What do you our mean? drummers Am I beat somebody up, please. Our drummers, the usually the craziest. Is that a is that a rule of thumb that in a band the drummers I'm, I'm always gonna, the fucked I'm up? I'm gonna throw myself under the bus and say that I think the guitar players are the worst of all. Really? We were the we were the most obnoxious ones as a collective not all at the same time right, but right, i mean right. but sometimes there'd be a group of us together it would be like a tasmanian devil who kept you in line in the band who was the one was page the guy was, no, jeff it was the jeff. Guy? who was the guy who it said Steve, you gotta chill jeff, out man. jeff had to throw a look your way and you'd know it was, like, it was the big brother look like like you're fucking up dude yeah stop acting like a dick. Well, he didn't have to say nothing he'd just look at you and then you'd realize your own sins and go ooh. Were you ever in an odd, a crowd where it's like 50,000 people watching or 20,000 people watching or more? I know you've played for hundreds of thousands probably. But have you ever played where you fuck up Africa or Rosanna? Oh, God. I mean, you rip it apart. You're like, what? Jesus, I just destroyed this. Oh, God. The guys man. hate me. No, man. Shit the bed, man. Absolutely shit the bed. Many I mean, times. a real moment that people notice, not just you, because oh, you notice little things. There's been so many of them. I couldn't count them. It happens almost every night. There's something funny happens. There's so much that can go wrong. You see, the reason why we all love Spinal Tap is because all that shit happened to us, or some permutation of it did, and we've all lived it. Get a little lost backstage. I mean, all you know, you just have to, you know, the repeated viewing. And I got the chance that I got to produce their second record or four tracks on their second record. I'm the right guy for the job. But we went and saw the movie together. No, I mean, I mean, yeah, I screw up all the time. I make mistakes. You know what? If you go to a show and there's no mistakes and everything's perfect, then it's probably the record or Pro Tools gone, you know? Because, you know, no one's perfect. It's Ock Perlman, the finest violinist on the planet. He'll bend a note a little sharp sometimes. I'm not talking Even about bending he, a note. I'm, I'm talking no, about but I'm fucking talking about, the song up. <laughs> I'm talking about one of the finest musicians <laughs> right, right, ever to walk the planet. Right, right. As opposed to a bunch of rock and roll guys who make mistakes. You know, I've, yeah, man, there's been some horrible nights. And, you know, especially if I was drinking back in the day, it was like, no, God, man, it's like watching yourself die slowly. And then the comments are brutal. I know what it's like to be a pinata. <laughs> just beating on, just, just bleed open. You bring, bring your baseball bat with the nails in next time so you can really <laughs> dig in there. 
But you have to have a sense of humor about this shit. Otherwise, you'd kill yourself with a box cutter to your neck or something. What's the funniest shit that ever happened to you on stage? The funniest thing that ever happened where I don't, just the experience. Well, you know, it's going to be hard to explain because, and it's not even a nasty story. This is really G rated. I want to hear it. It is so fucking funny. No, that's not G rated. Um, <laughs> back in the day, when when the the keyboards had gotten to the point where the control it's a controller on stage. Instead of you'd go see yes, and there'd be five hundred keyboards on stage and stuff. Well, you know, as tech progressed, there'd be one keyboard on stage, and there'd be a guy off stage, almost like a second engineer, pre-mixing all the keyboards and stuff like that. And there's some samples and stuff like that, horn sample or you know, sound effect or something like this. And they're all the different songs are on one keyboard, and there's a guy there that can touch it and do this. It's not. It's just adding to the sound. You know what I mean? Right, right. right. But it's all the songs on one keyboard so we were we used to have the song called stop loving you that we played was a hit in europe and dave would do this beautiful me and him would do this intro thing to it and he'd play these really lush chords and i do kind of like the dave gilmore not unlike the beginning we were trying to do shine on you crazy diamond kind of thing the intro to it and then we go into our song well dave's all alone spotlight on him i'm in the dark the spotlight hits me when i'm supposed to come in but the arena is full it hits Dave with the spotlight, and the controllers change. So when he played a chord on the keyboard, everything that was on every song all hit at the same time. It was the most amazing noise I'd ever heard in my life. <laughs> and the look on Was Dave, it a bad noise? It was horrendous. I can't even explain to you. It, it was, was a just, million noises it was, at it once. It was like you could never recreate it, ever. Did you shit your but pants? I knew what it was. See, the audience just heard this cacophony of noise. They had no idea what this was, but I knew what happened. And the look on Paige's face, he was staring at me because he was the only one lit. Pins the whole audience is looking at him with his head. And then, you know, the lighting guy doesn't really realize what's going on. He just goes, oh, he fucked up. He's got to hit me with the cue. The light hits me. I'm on the, my knees, howling, laughing. <laughs> I can't play. And the whole audience, <laughs> Dave's like going, mouthing fuck you to me play something help me out here while they switch the program again i'm like so what did you jump into i just played some shit you know i'm just you know bottom some time he came back in no one was the wiser but that's the kind of stuff i knew what it was and it was the most we still talk about it's human how could we make that noise this indescribable noise sound effects horns different weird things from all these different songs all coming off at once when he's supposed to play a chord there's no chord it's just noise it's like it was amazing. What a great memory, huh? Well, we had all kinds of memories like that. Any naked girls were on stage? Yeah. A lot? Not a lot now. Were you the biggest ladies man in the band? I had a moment. Yeah, I mean, you know, after my first divorce, I sort of went crazy for about 10 years and had a few cool relationships, and then I went crazy again, and then I got married again. Did you blow the... most of a, lot, a lot of your money in the beginning on, on drugs, coke, and stuff <laughs> like that back in the day? No, I mean, we got ripped off is what happened. What do you mean you got ripped off? Well, we all were at the same accountants and stuff like that. And we were all partying, but, you know, we're also all making a lot of money as session players and in a band. But they were filtering money off the top and they'd commingle our money together, you know, and then it was it was a mess. So, you know, being young kids, you know, given the keys to the kingdom and the money to spend, you know, I was smart. I bought a house and then I parlayed it into another house and. But I wasn't saving a lot of money. And I was lied to saying, oh, we got this we got this pension account for you. It didn't have anything. 
they were just ripping us off blind, and we were too young and stupid and busy to realize to what, what was going on. Well, you look at Wikipedia, and Wikipedia will say Steve Lukather is worth $80 million. <laughs> That's what it says on Wikipedia. Net worth, $80 million. That's hilarious. When, don't you wish you had $80 million? Yeah, man. You know, I, I, I mean, over the course of the years, million. who knows? But, like, you know, none, I never, that ain't my bank account, man. I, you know, I, I do okay, but I don't do eighty million okay. Eighty million is really good. That'd be strong. That would be. This has been a real. I treat, do okay, man. but I mean, that, that eighty million. Okay, I want. I want eighty million. Then I'll retire. Okay. You'll retire with eighty million. If you give me eighty million dollars, I'm done. You'll never see me again. Where would you go? I'd find an island somewhere. Probably just let my hair go white and, and uh, sit and play in some little band and not grow a beard and never tell anybody who I am and just. Live the rest of my life out on the beach, hanging out with my kids. If I gave you an that's ac- the wet dream, but I'll never happen. But you know. if I gave you an acoustic guitar right now, what's the one song if you had to play just a couple of licks? I don't have a big. Favorite Stone song? Oh, there's too many. There's too many. The Stones were another one. They were like second, you know. Hardest Hendrix song to play. Hardest? And could you play 1983? Give me a pick if you want me to fucking do this. I'm telling you, man. I've been trying to get you to do this forever. You've been the busiest fucker in the world. People will love you. Thank you for having me, Michael. Did you have fun? Yeah, I did, man. It's always fun to hang with you, Rosie. This has been a real treat for me. This is the first rock star in my fucking podcast. (laughs) His book, The Gospel, According to Luke. This is probably his one and only book that he'll ever write. Am I right? I'm not going to be Stephen King. No, that's not going to happen. I wish. Steve Vai wrote the forward. Dude, look them up. Toto's still playing. They're better than no, ever. I've seen you guys like probably eight times. It always sounds amazing. Well, we're gonna, always you know, this cool year guests. is going to be you know, the last year we play for a while. We're, you know, we've been on a cycle for a long time. We're going to take a line. Is this 40? 43 now. 43 years. We've started the 40 trips around the, you know, the right. doing the whole process of making the record, doing the tour worldwide. We're in year two, so October 20th is the last show. So uh, if you if you want to come see us, now would be the time. Dude, go see them. Trust me. I take all my friends. It's just a <clears> fucking <throat> great time. One of the best guitar players, one of the best guys I know, Steve Lucas. Thank you for allowing me to be inside you, my brother. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.